Hello, my love tribe. Welcome to Heartland Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Christian, and today we're going to enjoy a wonderful conversation with one of our new guest speakers. So I hope you're excited and we're ready to dive in. If you have any questions or want to know more about the guest speaker, definitely go to the description box so you can get to know who they are and check out all of what they have to offer. So definitely stay tuned and we'll get started right after this message. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I am here with James Felt, and I am so excited. He's going to share a lot with us on getting our minds in the right place, especially when it comes to a poverty mindset. So welcome, James. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here with you. Absolutely. I am so excited to hear everything you're going to share with us. I know you have your book, Hope Realized, which you have released, and it's good, and I'm just excited to hear more. So yeah, um, happy to have you. Could you share a little bit about just yourself and how you got here? Sure, I'd love to. Yeah, so uh, I live in Maryland, uh, just outside of Baltimore, mm-hmm. and I uh, married two kids. I always like to kind of jokingly say I have two kids, two dogs, two cats, and three hermit crabs. <laughs> <laughs> Full house. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um but uh, but that's that's kind of where I am now. I've, I'm a business owner. Also, continue to do work in Nicaragua, which I know we'll probably uh, briefly talk about at least uh, okay. as far as how we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, my my background, uh, you mentioned my book Hope Realized, is really around the time that I spent in Nicaragua. I lived there mm-hmm. for three years. Um, you know, I had a journey to get to living there. Obviously, uh, it wasn't like one day I woke up and hey, I'll just move to Nicaragua, but mm-hmm. um, but did spend three years living there and uh, working in community and economic development and working with people that are in poverty um, mm-hmm. and and kind of thinking about okay why why are they in poverty and what is holding them back um, both practically and spiritually or, or emotionally and mm-hmm. so that uh, as I came back from Nicaragua. 2015, moved there in 2012, I decided to go ahead and write a book about it um, and just kind of started writing. And eventually it turned into to a book that I released recently. And so, yeah, I'm excited to be able to share more about my journey, what I've learned about the role hope plays in really addressing poverty. And as you said, poverty mindset, because certainly we all we all can deal with that and suffer with that. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I I love that, you know, you kind of really bring forth the prayer piece and faith because that's, I think, one of the um, challenging pieces is when you're feeling that pressure of whatever environment you're in or just kind of feeling like nothing's changing, um, you know, kind of faith just kind of starts to diminish. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, super interested in hearing more about that. Um, So, yeah, so just kind of give me a little background on like maybe how, how did it feel going into those spaces? I, I'm sure it felt very different than what you're, you know, you're used to. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with Nicaragua. 
uh, and, and just kind of how it is there. I have never been, uh, but just learning about the area, I know it's a vast difference than from uh, obviously being in America. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I actually, the first time I went there was in 2007 and I was kind of coaxed along to going there. My, my family had gone the year before on a mission trip and I graduated from college and went into financial planning, financial advising Mm-hmm. And kind of decided I was going to be the guy that would just send the check and not the guy that went. And so mm-hmm. uh, my family, though, said, no, you should come. So I decided to, the next summer to go ahead and and go down. And it definitely was uh, significantly different than what I was used to. You know, the kind of relatively comfortable life grew up, you know, um, in kind of a middle class family, you know, had a pretty, pretty normal, stable uh, upbringing. And so going there, we had visited the the mission trip in particular was to an orphanage. And so we were working with kids that um, either had no parents or because of the economic situation in Nicaragua, they were what we would call economic orphans. So their Mm -hmm. family had basically sent them there because they couldn't take care of them and provide them opportunities. And so you can imagine just the, the challenges that that creates and the orphanage itself exists within a community that's extremely impoverished, a community called El Cañon. And it's uh, El Cañon in Spanish translates in English to the canyon. And it's literally down in this hill that you would have no idea kind of it existed if you didn't didn't go down in there. Mm -hmm. And it's probably 50 to 60 percent unemployment rate and underemployment rate. um, And, you know, everything you would think of as far as the byproducts of poverty with hunger and lack of education and just people feeling feeling hopeless. So, yeah, as I as I journeyed. Uh, down there and started to get to know people a little bit over the next few years. I continued to travel back. Uh, my parents actually ended up adopting a 15-year-old girl from there. I uh, started to interact with people more. And, um, you know, it kind of went from what we often think of as poverty, you know, on maybe the TV screen on the Catholic Charities commercial as just this idea and this concept or mm-hmm. um, this this major issue that we have to deal with as a world to being people. Uh, that had names. And so whether that's Josue mm-hmm. or Marie Jose or Sophia, you know, other, I could keep going down the list, but I started to realize and see that um, there were people that were just as capable and as intelligent as I am and was at the time, um, if not more, and that they seemingly were stuck in the situation um, of poverty and I was not. And so it started to force me to kind of ask some questions about why do people end up in in these situations, despite the fact that we are equal, you know, in, in mm-hmm. uh, many senses. And so there was nothing particularly special about me other than the opportunities I've been given. And so um, as I started to started to explore that, um, certainly, it, you know, made me uncomfortable, uh, made me ask some questions, like I said, of myself and, and my life, and um, challenged me to think bigger about the world and, and, uh, you know, what it's, what's actually out there, you know, and, and what most people actually deal with. And so, yeah, it was, it was challenging from that perspective. And then when I eventually did um, move there and uh, certainly that was uncomfortable (laughs) because I was used to, I grew up on the (laughs) East coast of the United States. Um, You know, I, I tend to kind of like order to some degree and uh, Mm -hmm. culturally things are just very different there. And so Mm -hmm. it was a challenge to my, my system of, I written a book a little bit about, um, just how I had to deal with 
the idea of mas o menos, that things don't always happen exactly as they're planned or, or at the mm-hmm. at exact moment because things are much more relational in Nicaragua mm-hmm. than they are in uh, on the east coast of the United States. And so it was it was a bit of a shock to the system of just how things worked, um, but it has taught me a lot along the way um, about myself, about, you know, um, just being more open to to, you know, not having to have things exactly the way I I perceive. So um, and then certainly I've learned a ton about poverty and the poverty mindset um, through that time. And so certainly would love to get into that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm really intrigued. Um, So what was kind of what did you observe that was the difference between your mindset and someone else's mindset that was kind of dealing with that poverty? Yeah, great question. So, you know, kind of going back to what I had said, I so I met people there um, and I started to to build some relationships. I actually had the chance to to travel back there a few times. I visited a coffee farm. I talk about in the book how I, I kind of accidentally promised to connect them with Starbucks and uh, learned that that was not a good a good plan because I had Uh-oh. no no ability to do that. So that was a learning process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I started and why I mentioned that is as I started to kind of say, okay, well, maybe I don't completely um, understand the problem or the solution. I, I had to take a step back and say, well, um, let me learn a little bit. Let me, mm-hmm. let me get to know people a little bit more and learn what the issue is. And, you know, what I found as I started to do that was the byproducts we often think of uh, when we think of poverty. So I named some of them earlier, but, you know, hunger, unemployment, uh, educational issues, we could keep going down the list. They are often what we point to when we think of poverty. But what I've found is that um, they are really byproducts of something much deeper. If you were to think of it almost like an iceberg, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the iceberg, basically 10% of an iceberg is above the surface while 90% is below. And mm-hmm. that 10% that we see is being fed by something much deeper. And what I found that to be is is hopelessness. Um, and I actually call it the lie of hopelessness because I don't believe anybody is truly hopeless, mm-hmm. but um, both hopelessness from a practical sense. So the lack of a real opportunity mm-hmm. to move beyond your current realities, whether that's a you know, job, education, you good on the list, mental health issues, things of that sort. Um, and then the lack of a clear uh, identity. So the belief that you were created for less than and that nothing mm-hmm. can ever change in your life. Mm-hmm. That um, those two things, both practical and spiritual hopelessness, is what really feeds and perpetuates poverty and mm-hmm. keeps it keeps it moving forward, um, despite all of the investment that we've made to try to change it. Um, certainly, we've made progress, but there still seems to be something missing. And I believe it's you know the need to address both of these root issues. And so, as I've learned, you know, about poverty mindset, a lot of it comes down to this idea of hopelessness um, that, you know, you've kind of decided or, or um, been convinced or however way you want to think about it, that mm-hmm. nothing can ever change um, in that, uh, that your environment basically reinforces that. So, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the examples that I'm giving, so in El Cañon, for example, you know, there's, there's not a lot of opportunity there, you know, no one's going in and saying, um, let me build a business in, in El Cañon and create jobs for people mm-hmm. or, um, you know, let me invest in, in this particular infrastructure issue. And so the environment itself kind of says like, yeah, you are hopeless. And then mm-hmm. because that's been reinforced, um, people often get kind of caught up in this 
this picture of themselves that you know nothing nothing can ever change and that certainly can be true of us whether we live in poverty or not right that we mm-hmm. can get stuck in a mindset of of uh you know this is just where i am um and nothing will ever change for me um, mm-hmm. in poverty it plays out you know in a way that kind of holds people back from reaching the their god-given potential but um, that can be an issue for all of us so mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think we all get kind of get stuck in our own uh, lack, <laughs> lack senses of thinking sometimes, mm. you know, in whatever the area of our lives may be. But that's huge. And I don't think that a lot of people um, think think about that piece. And I love that you tapped into that. And because um, I find that sometimes like people that may be in um you know, impoverished areas, they're struggling and they may receive help or like these short spurts of help, like, oh, here's some food and Mm -hmm. here's this. And well, that runs out, you know? And so it's like, what can you do to kind of help shift it to where they can sustain themselves? So, so how did it start to shift? Did you notice a shift and what kind of influenced them to shift or was there like a language barrier? Do you speak Spanish? I do now. I didn't at the time. That's another okay. funny story. Yeah. So how did that, how did you influence the hope with having that language barrier? It's like uh, you know, draw pictures or right. yeah. Like, how oh, do you I can do tell that? you. I could tell you all kinds of stories about me, like thinking I one I thinking I spoke Spanish when I got there, and then realizing <laughs> I didn't, and then trying. It's funny you say draw pictures because. Uh, one thing I've learned, you know, with cultural differences, your your examples and analogies don't always <laughs> translate. <laughs> you have to think about. Oh wait, that's a totally different. You know, that would that would yeah. be perceived totally differently in Central America <laughs> than it would be here. So I've certainly learned a lot about that. But to be honest with you, um, I would say a few things. One, I think that uh, this is going to sound maybe clicheish, but hope you know doesn't necessarily have a language. You know, I think mm-hmm. that it. Uh, you know, we all know what a real opportunity looks like um, when, you know, somebody provides you with the opportunity to to move forward with your life. They're actually investing in you for the long term, saying like, hey, I, I will get behind you. I'll give you a job. I'll provide education resources, things of that sort. And then when, you know, it is harder, obviously, on the on the spiritual end where the um, identity, what I would say, reframed identity is another way I look at it. Um, that part, certainly the language barrier does play a role, but showing people that they are uh, what I say created uh, by a guy who loves them on purpose and for purpose. And so mm-hmm. kind of shifting that, that concept does play. There is obviously verbal communication with that, but a lot of it was one learning myself, but two um, being willing to partner with other people that did speak Spanish, you know, Nicaraguans. So um, we have a staff down there now. Uh, I continue to work with Nika works, the organization that I, that I was working with there. Um, but we also work with community leaders in in the communities in which we work and so uh, we would you know use uh, or uh, work through them as a catalyst to reach people and sometimes that would help break down the the language barrier as well um but some of it too is i would just say like a willingness to continue to show up and Mm -hmm. to to show people that you really truly believe in them because like you said a lot of times we'll be willing to maybe do the the short-term help um Mm -hmm. The, the thing that maybe, you know, hey, uh, we'll give you some food or we'll give you um, some clothes or something that might, you know, help them in the short term. But that long term investment is really what makes makes the difference, both practically mm-hmm. and spiritually, I believe. And mm-hmm. so 
um, shifting from, you know, hey, we're just here to give you a handout to know we're here to say we believe in you mm. is is a totally different thing. And I would yeah. say that uh, I was actually having this conversation with somebody yesterday. You know, I think the reason why we often we often go to short term solutions is we believe people in poverty are as hopeless um, as as they do, if not more. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, well, they're not ever nothing's really ever going to change. Mm -hmm. So I'll just give them some food to help them through today. Um, And certainly there are instances and situations where that is necessary and helpful. But if that's all we do, um, the situation is not going to change. And so. So, yeah, I would say when you said communicating, some of it was working through people. Some of it was just my skills developing in in Spanish. Um, But a lot of it was just by action, too. You know, and so. Mm -hmm. those were the things I can think of that, that really made a difference. Wow. So did you provide more jobs there or how did they come to you? How did you reach other people that were in that area? And um, just kind of how did they start changing their lives? I presume their lives have, are completely changed now. Yeah, some, certainly. I mean, the the reality is that, you know, addressing an issue like poverty is a long term uh, commitment. You know, it's Mm -hmm. messy and and full of heartbreak. And Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) you have to be willing to kind of say that, you know, um, there's this Greek proverb that says uh, societies thrive when uh, old men or old people are willing to plant trees under which shade they may never sit. And it's kind Mm -hmm. of that idea, I think, with addressing poverty is being willing to say we're here for the long term, even if we don't see all the solution, but certainly we have started to see um, shifts and in some cases, you know, seeing, seeing people that have moved, you know, beyond um, their current situation, but a lot of it. So what we do in a lot of ways and what I was able to do is um, a few different things. So vocational training, so mm-hmm. providing, um, you know, training or, and or jobs for people, whether that's, we have a bike shop we developed. Um, so we did some training there as well as opening that bike shop to provide employment. Um, we ship uh, used bikes down from the U.S. that are then sold in Nicaragua. It's called the Nika Bike Shop. Um, we do some uh, carpentry vocational training that, again, gives people skills. And the hope is that eventually we'll be able to actually develop a, um, a furniture business out of that and, and provide opportunity where they can go off and do their own thing. We do a, quite a bit of agriculture vocational mm-hmm. training, helping people to um, you know, have better food security, whether that, you know, if they have a, a small garden or we've done larger agriculture development, which again, develops jobs and, and trains people in the skills to grow, actually growing sweet corn right now, which is not a, a super common crop in Nicaragua, but is used and um, is expanding. And so we've done things of that from a practical sense. And then we've also invested in and partnered with people that invest in education for kids and um, provide medical care. Uh, I give an example. I'll give you one example of somebody in the, in the book that I talk about. Her name is Brenda, and she is from a, a rural community, very impoverished uh, community in the northern mountains of Nicaragua. And I was out there with a group uh, visiting the community with a guy named Rohair that's actually from there. He has an amazing story, uh, but from there. And he now lives in the U.S., but still goes back and invests in that community as well as 17 other villages around that area. And we met Brenda and her mom and Brenda had a bandana on her head and um, we were coloring, you know, out, if you can imagine, it's kind of an open air school in this community that has no running water, no electricity, Mm. very inaccessible. 
and we're out coloring with the kids and you know she just has a bandana on her head we wouldn't have thought anything of it but her mom came up to Rohair and and a couple of the other people that were with us and said i i need help basically mm-hmm. um my daughter has a medical issue and she brought her daughter over brenda over and she started to unwrap her bandana and as she unwrapped her bandana it exposed um this infection mm. that was was happening and basically it's an infection that is caused by um water you know so they would get most of their water from the creek and they would bathe and things of that sort in the creek but animals mm-hmm. and things of that sort would go in as well so mm-hmm. animal uh, feces and things of that sort are in the water and mm-hmm. it was an infection that you know and if they lived in maryland where i'm from you would go to the urgent care or maybe if you let it go long enough you might go to the emergency room and you would get treated and that infection would go away but in in avianas um, that option isn't available and that infection can actually eventually you know, travel to the brain and can, mm. can be a, obviously a huge issue. And so she was basically like, Hey, can you help my daughter? Um, mm. And we didn't know really what to do other than because of the situation. We said, well, we can bring her with us. And so we brought the, we brought Brenda and her mom with us back to Managua, the capital city, which is about two and a half or three hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're able to uh, connect her with the hospital and she was able to get care that, um, help to heal the infection. And then oh, eventually good. we were, Brenda ended up staying in the area. I'll shorten the story, but Brenda ended up staying in the area um, to get education uh, and found that she was incredibly intelligent and that, um, you know, she had a bright future ahead of her if she was willing to grab onto it. So again, those are two examples of practical mm-hmm. hope in the sense of medical care and then education. Um, so it's not always just it is often, you know, providing jobs and things of that sort, but it can also be practical hope in mm-hmm. other senses. And so um, Brenda is still, she's a uh, 20-something kid, you know, still on her journey. <laughs> but, um, but you know, she's certainly, I think the future is bright for her. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that she would be alive today um, without that that situation. And I think it's completely shifted her, her mindset. Um, but, you know, I could give many, you know, many other examples of of people that um, we've seen change and and are moving forward uh, towards a better life and so um, yeah so that those are some of the things that we do yeah no I love that and um, I love that it's it's really an organic sense it's not um, from my perspective a lot of times there's a lot of this like yeah we're helping see and yeah <laughs> and it's kind of a forced help like mm-hmm. i get it like everyone has like a you know a kind of thing that they do whether they go give shoes or food or whatever but i love that it's just so open to where it's like pe- one people feel safe obviously they feel safe enough to come to you and i was just kind of like imagining everything as you're telling me and i'm, I'm sure it's nowhere near the capacity of what it actually was but just having that understanding of things that one like it's so easy for us like we kind of take it for granted like oh yeah what do you mean like just go get help but just knowing that that's just not you know available as much and then uh also just the standpoint of like people want to feel good about themselves and have something that they can contribute i think that we're all naturally designed to be purposeful yeah and so um having a skill or having something rather you you know continue with that or not but we need that in Mm -hmm. order to feel like you know we can we're naturally independent people so 
um, I find that when we're really dependent on other things on a regular basis, we become more depressed. We like to have something that we feel good about ourselves with, you know, contributing to others. And so I love that you provide that, you know, capability or that door that can be open. So I love all of what you mentioned because a lot of people don't think about that part. They just see the end result and they try to help in those immediate situations, but you really have to go to the root of the, the cause. Yeah. I mean, we try to address it in in a community led change kind of way. So we're mm-hmm. going in and we're kind of listening and we're saying, well, what, what assets exist here? And then what can we do to enhance that um, to provide opportunity, you know? And so, um, that is very much the way it's, it is organic and it's messy and it's, it's not as uh, formulaic. So sometimes it's harder, but mm-hmm. I believe in the long term, you know, it's more successful and, mm-hmm. and, uh, creates more change. And you brought up a great point too, with, uh, sometimes it's just showing people that they have the ability, uh, within them to do something, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, I, I agree with you, you know, we're, we're created to, to create in a sense, you know, we're created to, to want to be able to do something and to use the gifts uh, that we have. And so mm-hmm. sometimes what people need is an opportunity to see that in themselves and exercise mm-hmm. that. And that's what I, when I talk about a real opportunity, that's really what that is. It's saying like, Hey, you, we believe in your potential and we want to give you a real opportunity. And then sometimes in doing that, we get the opportunity or, or maybe somebody we're partnering with gets the opportunity to speak truth into their life and say, look, you're creative for more. You don't have to think of yourself as, um, you know, destined for, uh, you know, nothing or a life of less than that you actually can, uh, you can move forward that you were created to reach whatever your God-given potential is. And, you know, it can be easy Mm -hmm. to think of that as, well, so are you saying if they have spiritual hope that um, everything's going to be perfect. And that's not what I'm saying. It's more of saying um, when you have a clear picture that you were created on purpose and for a purpose, you have a reframed mm-hmm. identity, you're able to to continue to move forward despite the challenges around you. And mm-hmm. so that um, combining those two things, that real opportunity and that reframed identity is where we've seen, seen real change happen. Whether that's mm-hmm. change you know, that we've been a huge part of, or if it's even observed change that um, I've seen happen in other people. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so inspirational, especially because the, we're a communal people and especially people in different countries, I think, are even more communal than we are. We can get a little siloed here yeah, uh, because we have access to all the stuff and we're like, oh, I don't need anyone, whatever, uh-huh. but <laughs> we do. Um, but I think that it's a little bit more, um, like I said, communal, tribal and a lot of the different cultures. So if they can be able to witness seeing someone else get out of that mindset or change their lives, and they're coming from the same space, mm-hmm. that's got to be incredibly inspirational. Like, maybe, maybe I can change, or maybe things can be different, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think you're definitely right. And we've seen that, you know, where it definitely makes a difference when you, someone can say, hey, look, I came from um, the same community that you're in, or I, or I live here even, and I'm starting to make a difference in my life. Um, you know, Hey, why don't you take advantage of the opportunities that Mm -hmm. exist or, or maybe look at yourself differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, um, as you've now, how long have you been there? 
So I lived there for I lived there for three years. I've been working. I've been going to Nicaragua, I guess, for let's say fifteen years, but kind of working there for the past ten years. So oh. um, working with Nico Works. I lived there from 2012 to 15. Moved back, and now we have a staff, Nicaraguan staff that works there, and I continue to travel there a few times a year um, to to partner with them and and support. Wow, and I'm sure that that has drastically add, added value and like made you feel more purposeful as well too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I think one of the things I talk about again and hope realized is, and again, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday is that, you know, when we bring hope to other people, we find more hope for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think there's something um, really beneficial about jumping in and saying, Hey, I'm going to make a difference in someone else's life, even for yourself, even if it's just, you know, I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. it's not selfish, but selfish, the selfish motivation part of it is it actually Mm -hmm. will help you to feel more hopeful um, and to not uh, kind of get stuck in your own world, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. by Mm -hmm. being willing to step out and say, um, I'm going to bring hope to hope to someone else. So, yeah, it's I would as much challenge as it's created in some senses, you know, or the past 10 years, like I would never give any of it back. <laughs> I would, because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be nearly as excited uh, about my own life and about what I believe um, is possible for, for people in poverty and for really any of us without mm-hmm. having gone through and continuing to, to work with people um, and yeah. trying to create change. So. Absolutely. And I actually was just in Baltimore uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was there um, for work. And so um, I know that area also has a lot of poverty in that area as well. Mm -hmm. Is it the same? Do you think the same mindset that gets someone in that space, especially when here in this country where we've got, you know, you can go down one street and <laughs> it's a low income and then you can go down 20 minutes and it's a totally different reality mm-hmm. and people can see that there's different resources or see different possibilities, but yet they still kind of stay stuck. Yeah. I think it is the same, you know, it looks different. Um, the yeah. resources, as you said, available in to, to at least some degree are different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think the, the issue, the lack of a real opportunity and the, uh, the picture mm-hmm. we have of ourselves, our, our identity being kind of caught up in, in this idea that, you know, I wasn't created for anything or I was created for life less than, I think mm-hmm. that plays so much into um, what we see with poverty anywhere, you yes. know, and, and for all different reasons, depending on where you are. But, um, but yeah, I think that's the same, you know, in Baltimore City, I do some, I do some work. I don't really do some work. I, I volunteer occasionally uh, with an organization that works in uh, a school in particular in Baltimore City, an organization called Appy Time for Learning, and they do incredible mm-hmm. work with kids in West Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that community, you know, all the elements of poverty that you see in Nicaragua, they're there in a different form. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's uh, really much different from the root cause standpoint. You know, again, going back to that picture of the iceberg that um, there's a need of real hope, not just like, I hope something changes the wishy-washy hope we often think of, but real hope mm-hmm. um, in the form of a real opportunity and a reframed identity. Because the people that live, the reality is the people that live in in that area of West Baltimore are just as 
capable as I am, mm-hmm. just as intelligent as I am, um, but for you know many different reasons are are trapped in this in this spot. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know I'm I'm really thankful for people like Patricia Mac Preston who runs Happy Time for Learning that's investing in the mm-hmm. community there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I recently did uh, a little bit of work with the organization uh, Prison Fellowship. Have you heard uh, of them? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, just being able to witness that as well, mm. I could imagine where that mindset could could start. And, you know, as kids, I feel like they don't have the awareness of the weight, you know, of how things are. And yeah. so they're just like, yeah, like whatever. So they're still like so moldable. Yeah. But, you know, every day as they grow, it just keeps getting in that reconditioning of what they're seeing, what their family is doing, seeing their parents in that state, um, you know, let alone what's been told to them. And I can imagine it's hard to steer that ship of the mind um, when you've when you've had such a long period of time being conditioned in one space, as opposed to someone coming in and trying to instill it after that conditioning has been set, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely hard. Mm-hmm. It's definitely very challenging, I believe. And, um, and that's why ultimately, I, you know, I really think it comes down to creating, you know, again, I call it all in hope, but practical and, and spiritual hope and mm-hmm. investing in that way. And it might not be, um, I think oftentimes we want to say like, well, here's this solution. And um, in 10 years or five years or two years, it'll be completely different. And it just mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. No. Um, but yeah. if we're willing to really invest and say, um, we believe in people and in their, their potential, uh, then we're going to bring them the resources they need through a real opportunity. And then we're going to you know, remind them or partner with somebody to help remind them that they were created on purpose and for a purpose that I believe real change um, can happen. And I, you know, there are plenty of examples of it. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, and some of even the examples that, you know, we see that maybe are not, uh, you know, we often think of as an aberration. Well, that could be more the norm, I think, um, mm-hmm. if we create those, those opportunities for people to experience all in hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. But I think, you know, it, it, if you can just help one person, I mean, that has an amazing impact, because mm-hmm. they'll remember, you know, how it impacted them and how their life has changed. And sometimes it's easier to listen to someone that's been in your shoes than seemingly someone on the outside. It's an illusion, because <laughs> we are, you know, capable, but I think it's sometimes it's easier for people to accept a truth from someone that it looks like they came from the same space. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, that mm-hmm. definitely plays a, a big role. Uh, and we can all like you said, I think it's super important, actually, that we all uh, play a role, you know, we each have something mm-hmm. to bring to the yeah. table. Um, if we're willing to, to do it and we can each make a difference, we just have to be willing to take a step. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I often tell people if you want to, if you're saying like, well, gosh, I'd like to jump in and, and make a difference. I don't really know where to start. I often tell them, well, get curious about one yourself, um, what you believe, mm-hmm. what you believe about people in poverty, what you believe about yourself, um, mm-hmm. about where poverty might exist in your, 
a sphere of influence or in your community or, or neighborhood. And then mm -hmm. think about maybe what you have to offer. You know, I went to that orphanage the first time I, I uh, did youth work with an organization called Young Life, but hanging out with kids in an orphanage didn't feel like exactly my gift set um, as far as what I had mm -hmm. you know, studied in college and things of that sort. So I wasn't sure where my business background and leadership background played in. But as I started to explore, I realized, no, I do have something to offer and I can bring the gifts that I've um, been given and developed to make a difference. And so each of us, whether that's a teacher or um, some of that's just, you know, there are tons of different skills. I don't have to get on the whole list that we each have um, that we can bring to the table. So if we look and say, well, what, what can I bring to the table? And then we're willing to get connected maybe to somebody that's already working in that community. You know, as you said, maybe somebody that um, has relationships that's already there and um, has done the hard work uh, mm -hmm. of investing, you know, getting connected to them and then just being willing to take that step and say, well, hey, I'll bring what I have. Um, to offer to bring hope to someone else. And so I think if we can, the more people we can get to be willing to do that, the the more chance we have of, of seeing um, hope realized in a lot of communities where uh, we often think it's hopeless now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. Um, I love that for just all over the world. I think that it's kind of makes me sad a little bit just because I know that our natural design we're designed to be so incredible so amazing beings and to feel like you know you're worthless or meaningless or not able to you know be anything more than what you actually are designed for just hurts my heart but mm. I love that you are um kind of reinstilling truth back into people of what they are capable of being yeah i mean that's what yeah exactly that's what it's all about is helping them realize what's inside themselves you know it's it's um you know it's not hope uh, practical and spiritual hope isn't like uh something that i we give per se i guess it is something we give but you know what i mean it's something we help yeah. bring out in people um they already have the god-given potential it's helping them realize that it's in there Yes. Um, and then helping them exercise that in the form of a real opportunity. I mean, we all need that, right? I mean, I've had so many people give me opportunities in life. It's easy to say you're a self-made person, but that uh, is almost never true. <laughs> you know, somebody Correct. had to give you an opportunity at some point. Um, you might have yeah. made the most of it, but somebody had to give you an opportunity at some point. So yeah, um, yeah, we're all you know here to help each other in some way, whether it's just inspiration. I mean, I like. To focus on leading by example, it's always so easy to tell people what to do, but just, you know, you, you'd make such a big impact just by living your life in a, you know, the best way for you and the most valuable and helpful way, healthy way. Um, you never know who's watching and who sees that. And, and mm -hmm. I can truly, you know, just kind of spark a new direction for them. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, I think that that's a good point that you made. I love the fact that you bring in the spiritual and the practical hope because some people view hope as wishing. Yes. And it's not the same thing. No. <laughs> uh, and, and so being able to, you know, take action and visualize or see how things could be in tandem is what kind of starts to instill that hope mm. a bit more than, you know, maybe I hope this will work out and, you know, nothing's yeah. actually doing, nothing's actually being changed. So I love that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I actually talk about how like it, this sounds like the verb kind of hope or the noun kind of hope. Like one is kind of like this, Hey, I hope my team wins. Yeah. And one is foundational. <laughs> and I, one of the ways I like to compare it is it's like, you know, when I was a kid, I loved volcanoes and I thought they were neat. And I built a volcano out of um, baking soda and vinegar, right. And the, the science project kind of thing. And, you know, I thought I understood volcanoes until I actually went to Nicaragua and I got to drive up to the crater of a volcano and look inside mm. and say, wow, this is one powerful force. <laughs> and that's what, you know, when I think of like this real hope, when we actually come face to face with it, it changes our perspective of what it really is. It's not this wishy-washy feeling um, that we often think of when we think of hope. I mean, certainly that is a, I guess, in some ways a, a form of hope, but um, it's this foundational kind of hope that actually has power and can create change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really the seed mm-hmm. to like the catalyst of like that transition from the low space to the higher space. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, James, I loved everything you shared with us today. Is there anything else that you wanted to share as far as just like the stories or just, you know, anything that any advice you would share with someone that's in this space right now of being in poverty? Sure. Yeah. I would just say, um, well, to someone that's in maybe in that poverty mindset is just, I would encourage you to realize that you might feel like your life is worthless, but that's just not true. And you might feel like you're, you're hopeless and you're, you're caught in hopelessness, but I believe hopelessness is a lie. And that um, you truly were created by a God who loves you on purpose and for a purpose. And that um, that by seeing yourself changing the way you, that you see yourself and then, you know, finding a real opportunity, that real change can still happen and that the situation isn't hopeless. And for people that are on the outside, you know, kind of saying, well, what do we do? Well, there's a lot of opportunity for us to bring hope in both of those ways. And so being willing to take that step and say, I'm willing to give back uh, some of my, what, you know, what I have in gifts and, um, and encourage other people can make a huge difference in uh, that person's life, your own life. And in this world, you know, we're all, like you said, we're all connected. So we, we try to believe that we can uh, be siloed and that things don't uh, impact us. You know, we don't have to worry about that because it's not my problem. Well, the reality is uh, that's just not true. We're all connected and you know, all of these problems, poverty is a, an issue that we all have to deal with in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, the reality is, I think the fact that uh, many people feel hopeless um, makes us feel more hopeless. So as mm-hmm. we uh, are willing to address hopelessness and others, we'll find more hope for ourselves in that way too, because we'll build a more hope-filled world. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would just say, you know, I believe that, uh, that there is a ton of hope. And that's why I said hope realized, you know, it's this mm-hmm. idea that hope can be, hope can be realized that it's not just this, like you said, the wishy-washy feeling, but it's this thing that, um, that is foundational and exists and, and is a possibility. And so I would just encourage people to, um, you know, not give up, you know, whether you're, whatever side of the poverty coin you're on um, to not give up and, and keep moving forward. And that's what, you know, I hoped in some ways, my book would help remind people of is that um, that you know there is a lot of opportunity for for real change still. Yes, absolutely. Uh, James, thank you so much. This was 
amazing. I really did enjoy this conversation. How can people kind of get in touch with you or get your book? Sure. Thanks. And I did as well. This has been great, Lindsay. You yeah. can find my book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you know, anywhere that you buy books. You can also visit my website, uh, jameshbelt.com and, you know, find additional resources as well as, as the book there. Um, or you can look me up on LinkedIn or, or Facebook, James Belt. So love to connect with you and uh, you know, encourage you and hopefully get encouraged by you as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks, Lindsay. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.